This weekend marks the 245th anniversary of the original 13 colonies adopting the Declaration of Independence. But for those counting, it was actually signed on August 2nd. In 2021, here in the Capital Region, that means fireworks and barbecues and, unfortunately, the possibility of some rain. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. Three years of negotiation coming to an end this week, and it has been very contentious. Former TV actress Allison Mack was sentenced to three years in prison for her Nexium crimes this week. Step back, everybody. Times Union Justice reporter Rob Gavin and I went down to Brooklyn for the hearing, and we'll talk about how it all went down. Allison, what do you think of the others who first find slaves that didn't get time? And we'll hear how an uptick in violence in the spa city has city officials blaming the social justice movement. Most people felt it was just a totally racist incident, press conference. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. First up, let's go over what appeared this week in the Times Union and on timesunion.com with editor Casey Seiler. Welcome back to The Eagle, Casey. We missed you last week. Let's start with Governor Andrew Cuomo. There's a few stories that we put out this week that uh, spell a little bit of trouble for him. Uh, Can you give us a summary of what the news is there? Brendan Lyons reported on Tuesday that it appeared that the Assembly's uh, impeachment inquiry, which is being run by the Judiciary Committee, that the law firm that is essentially handling the investigation for lawmakers has not been as dutiful, shall we say, in contacting sources, including some of the troopers on the executive detail. In other words, the uh, state troopers who are closest to Cuomo's. The attorney general's investigation, which is uh, looking into the sexual harassment allegations uh, and sexual misconduct, in addition, allegations against the governor have been far more comprehensive and speedy in the way that they have apparently been reaching out to potential witnesses and calling them in for Q&As. Now, the uh, Assembly Judiciary Committee had uh, a very brief public session as part of its regular meeting this week after Brendan's story ran, and lawmakers expressed satisfaction with the job that um, their very high-priced law firm has been doing for them and also announced that uh, they were going to move to the issuing of subpoenas to compel testimony and, of course, put people um, on the record sworn. So that's uh, a development as we approach the four-month anniversary of the creation of the impeachment inquiry. Uh, And for that matter, a little bit more than the four-month anniversary, I think we're now approaching the five-month anniversary of the beginning of the attorney general-led investigation into the sexual misconduct claims against the governor. It's also worth noting that a story that the Times Union broke more than a year and a half ago 
into an alleged leak of confidential information from the state. Joint Commission on Public Ethics had some developments in the regular meeting of JCOPE this week, where Jim Yates, who was a former assembly aide and a commissioner to JCOPE, really for the first time confirmed that he was one of two commissioners who uh, became aware that Governor Cuomo uh, was complaining about how they, these two assembly-appointed commissioners, had voted in what was supposed to be a secret meeting, the contents of which were supposed to be secret, on an investigative matter. Now, we first noted that the state inspector general had been brought in by Jacob to investigate this. The inspector general, Letitia Taliaferro, recused herself because she is a former top staffer at Jacob. And the inspector general's office conducted what has been widely criticized by many within Jacob and without, including me, as a sham investigation that did not even interview Governor Cuomo or Carl Hasty, who apparently, according to um, various witnesses, uh, appear to have had a conversation about what happened at this meeting. This, once again, under color of law, secret meeting. So that potentially, since the statute of, of limitations has expired, means that the governor might not face any legal jeopardy for this, but it's still uh, another political matter and another black eye for Jacob, for that matter. Well, that is a lot to digest. And if you want to read more about it, head over to the Capital Confidential section of timesunion.com. Moving on, Albany Med has struck a contract deal with its nurses after a very long fight. Uh, can you give us more details there? Yeah, really three years of negotiation coming to an end this week. And it has been very contentious between the nurses union that represents, uh, you know, the professionals at Albany Med, which is one of the largest employers, uh, certainly the largest um, uh, healthcare concern in the capital region and one of the largest in upstate. It's good news probably for both parties, I think it's fair to say. Uh, nurses are going to receive a 1.5% guaranteed raise with a potential for an additional 1.5, up to 1.5% in an annual merit-based raise as well. Compensation for on-call services will go up differentials, you know, the additional pay that are received for, um, for weekends and, uh, and other specified shift work will um, increase as well. Health insurance premium increases will be capped at $5 a month for individuals and $10 per month for family coverage. So a lot of things that staff at Albany Med have been pushing for for a while. So um, it appears to be a happy resolution there. Indeed. Uh, moving on to Schenectady, a state court has found probable cause to hold a hearing in the discrimination case of a Schenectady jail guard. Can you tell us more about that story? Yeah, Desiree Panisic, who is, as noted, is a jail guard, wants to be acknowledged formally as non-binary. And in a new development, Desiree Panisic has been backed up by the State Division of Human Rights which has determined there is probable cause to justify holding a hearing in which the county can answer this question. Desiree Panisic rejects pronouns like he and she, and also rejects pronouns such as they and them, which many non-binary people use to reflect their gender identity. 
Panisic is quoted in the story as saying, I just don't feel I'm female. I don't feel like I'm male. I do what I want to do. That's what non-binary is. Panisic wants the county to create a, a policy, to draft a policy that specifically forbids discrimination against non-binary people. This, of course, is an emerging area of law, and it is a challenging area as well of newspaper copy editing, because, of course, all of the pronouns that we usually fall back on to describe people kind of fall by the wayside, as you can tell by the fact that I have used Panisic's name repeatedly in discussing this and had to try to be very careful about the use of pronouns that this individual feels is, uh, is offensive and does not sum up Desiree Panisic's experience. All right. Now moving on to the Nexium saga, where there's been a development this week. Allison Mack was sentenced. Uh, give us a, a little, little view of what happened there. We're going to hear more about it later on the podcast, but give, give us a summary. A long time coming. Allison Mack, 38-year-old former actress and longtime confidant of Keith Raniere, we learned only recently that she participated in the federal prosecution of Ranieri specifically by providing a fairly explosive audio tape in which Ranieri laid out how the branding ceremony, the initiation ceremony, and the inner master slave club within Nexium should go. Uh, Allison McFay sentencing on Wednesday in a Brooklyn federal courtroom, and I was very happy, Jess, that you and Rob Gavin were both there to capture the moment, both inside and outside the courtroom. Indeed, we were there, and we will talk about that coming up later on the podcast, and we're also going to talk about it on our sister podcast, Nexium on Trial. So check that one out, too, wherever you listen to podcasts. Before I let you go, Casey, I just want you to point out a pretty sweet deal we're having right now on subscription to the Times Union. Yes, as we always note, the, the journalistic mission of the Times Union is backed up by our subscribers but through July 11th, the Times Union is running a sale that is fairly ridiculously a good deal. 26 weeks of digital access to the Times Union and timesunion.com for 99 cents. And kids, that is not 99 cents a week. That is 99 cents for more than six months of journalism. So if you are at all interested, please go to timesunion.com and, uh, and check it out. It is a great deal. Casey, thank you so much for joining me, and we will check back in with you next week. Thanks, Jess. As always, you can read more about all the stories and the issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. As we mentioned during the last segment, former Smallville actress Allison Mack was sentenced Wednesday to three years in prison for her crimes involving Nexium. She reports to prison at the end of September. Times Union Justice reporter Rob Gavin and I traveled to Brooklyn for the hearing, and we sat down afterward to go over what happened both inside and outside the courtroom. Step back, everybody. Let's start with the basic premise. Why were we there? Allison Mack, a very high-ranking member of Nexium, a high-ranking member of DOS, the master slave group in which women were uh, forced to give lifetime vows 
of obedience to quote unquote masters. And that involved some of the women having physical uh, brands on their pelvic regions. Allison uh, Mack was one of those people, uh, but she also was someone who delivered the message from Ranieri that it was to be done a certain way. The person who's being branded should be completely nude and sort of held to the table like a sort of almost like a sacrifice. I don't know if that that's a feeling of submission, you know. It was some of the most damning evidence at the trial. And we later found out that Allison Mack actually provided that to federal prosecutors after she was convicted. And that I mean, she pled guilty on April 8th, 2019. From what we heard today, she basically immediately started cooperating. She was sentenced to three years. That is the big news of the day. But I thought it was interesting from my perspective outside. You know, I was with um, a bunch of people, local media, media from upstate, you know, from the capital region. And you had a whole swarm of paparazzi uh, who actually didn't really know who Allison Mack was aside from her Smallville roles. They didn't know anything about Nexium. They didn't really know why she was in court. They were just there to take her photo. And she came in the opposite way from the way folks had been walking into that courtroom, if you've seen photos or video of, of previous you know, hearings there. And as she walked in, there was just this swarm, like everybody was on her and it was just really tight. She could barely walk and she had her head down and you know she's being escorted by several people. It was just kind of a mess and it took her forever to get into the courtroom. Um, but once she got into the courtroom, that's where you took it. And kind of tell us what the vibe was in the courtroom and how things went down in there. Yeah, it was all very kind of subtle. I mean, uh, we did see uh, Jessica Joan, who was one of the two uh, women who spoke, one of whom was heard in the courthouse, another one by video. The other person being Tabby Chapman, who we spoke to last week. You had the prosecutors on one side with Tanya Hajar, who's taken over that role. And then over, you had the attorneys for Allison Mack. What happened? I, I know you said there were two victim impact statements, one yeah. from Tabby and one from Jessica Joan. So tell us about those. What did they say in a nutshell? The first statement came from Tabby Chapman. Tabby is a former Nexium coach. We had her on the podcast last week. There were times when my relationship with Allison was, you know, great, like a, a good friend. And then sometimes even on a dime and like things would be great and then i would make a comment and this sort of like lashing out would occur and i would leave crying with my head held down and you know not able to really function for days she spoke about this experience she had in nexium with allison tabby gave a quote and i'm going to read this because this is about as jaw-dropping a quote as you'll hear in, in a courtroom a lot of times. And this was what Allison Mack told Tabby, uh, according to Tabby, she said that, I cannot forget the moment you told me that being raped came with a choice to either suffer during it or to choose happiness and joy. And wow. that is, that is, you know, it, it, it's a jaw-dropping quote to hear, but it's not shocking when you consider what came out during the Nexium trial, it's, it's right along the lines of the kind of things that Keith Ranieri would say. 
comments like young children perfectly happy having sex with adults. I mean, so this case has been a case where these absurdly outlandish comments come in and you're like, oh my God, who could possibly think that? And the answer is people who support Keith Raniere and Keith Raniere. Then we had Jessica Jones. She did not wait long before basically just tearing into Alison Al- Mack. Said Alison Mack is a predator and an evil human being. Very early on, that's what she said about Alison Mack. At another point, she said Alison Mack, she can blame Keith all she wants, but she is a monster cut from the same cloth. She went on to describe her at various times as sadistic, a quote-unquote demon, a quote-unquote sociopath, and then says after that, Allison Mack and Keith Raniere are the most evil monsters I've ever met. She compares Keith Raniere and Allison Mack to other notorious figures with the line, she was the Ghislaine Maxwell to Keith Raniere's Jeffrey Epstein. Everybody familiar with the Epstein story will know that Ghislaine Maxwell is accused in federal court in New York City of providing Jeffrey Epstein, the late Jeffrey Epstein, with teenage girls. Well, we know based on her plea and the evidence in this case that Alison Mack provided women for Keith Raniere, at least four women that we, that we, uh, we know of. All right, all right, back up and just talk to you. Back up a little bit. Yes, and outside the courtroom after the proceedings ended, uh, she kind of echoed that statement. Uh, she was surrounded by the, the media again, uh, much like Allison was, and she gave a, a similar statement. My message to the other victims is that now we can really begin to heal. Justice has been served. She's going to do some time, and we're on the other end of this, and she's really irrelevant at this point. How did Allison? How did she react to those statements? I, I was looking closely at her. At first, it was kind of hard to tell. But as for how she looks, I think Allison definitely had tears in her eyes. They were welling up. There's no question that Jessica Jones, uh, Jones did not pull any punches. But hey, there's no reason why Jessica Jones should. She's a victim of, of Allison Mack's sex trafficking. So... I, I've seen people very angry at sentencing for reasons less egregious than, than a case of this magnitude. So Allison Mack stands up. She was very different today than the last time I saw her. So she gets up and the first thing Allison Mack had said was, I stand before you totally filled with remorse and regret. And she said very quickly after that, I renounce Keith Raniere and all of his teachings. So she also said she understood that what she chose, what she did in her past can't be undone. She was thankful to the judge, the court, and she even thanked uh, the victims for being so brave to come out and speak about her. I mean, she welled up a few times in the eyes. She talked about the fact that three years ago when she was on there, she thought it was like a worst nightmare to, to return home to her parents' house in California, but that Basically, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because she was able to find her family and herself and just sort of get her life back together and away from Keith Raniere. All right. So there's only one thing left. The judge has to speak, right? What did the judge say? Allison Mack was a cooperating witness. And the judge talked about the interesting balance, really delicate balance between 
uh, having to weigh Allison Mack's crimes and the fact that really, in his view, she was a victim. The judge told Allison Mack, by many accounts, you were able to use your status as a well-known public figure to gain credibility and influence with Nexium and DOS recruits. You abused this position of power to persuade and pressure women to join DOS. You capitalized on your celebrity and these individuals' eagerness to be close to you. And then he basically said how he she claimed that this was women's empowerment and misrepresented a lot of facts, including the fact that Keith Ranieri was involved in DOS and that there would be sexual conduct required with Keith uh, Ranieri. Uh, he talked a lot about the collateral, which is really the blackmail material that women in DOS were forced to give up to join this organization and really became uh, victims, which we now know included everything from having to be sleep deprived because they had to answer readiness texts at all hours of the night. They were 500 calorie or less diets. And of course, there was the branding of women branded with Keith Raniere's initials. And if you listen to the language, I thought he was going to bring the hammer when he said, you know, this court in sentencing Mr. Raniere made it very clear how seriously it views the conduct for which he was convicted. When it comes to DOS and the monstrous crimes he committed in connection with that organization, you were an essential accomplice. The judge goes on to say to Allison Mack, you willingly enslaved destabilized and manipulated other women so that when they were at their most vulnerable, when they believed that they owed you total obedience and that anything less than that would cause them serious personal and financial harm, when you had taken away their last sense of, of agency to make their own choices, you gave them special assignments to satisfy Mr. Ranieri's sexual interests. And then he added, sort of just at the, the very end there, Mr. Ranieri could not have done that without you. You did that together. But then the judge mentions, like I said, that there was a fact that she also was, in addition to being a, a, a high-ranking enforcer for Ranieri, she also had to give up collateral. She also was physically branded on her pelvis. She was on those same diets. I mean, we know that she was thin, rail thin. The judge, he said that. You know, He said, you know, in the language of Das, you were a slave as well as a master, and that even her victims were almost a little ambivalent. Uh, many of the, and he said many of them see you as their abuser and as a fellow victim. So between that and the fact that you did show remorse and whatnot, I mean, the judge credited all that, the fact that you came forward and altogether what that equals is the sentence we got, which was three years. Allison left the courthouse the way that she came out the front and of course all of the cameras and all of the paparazzi and, and everybody was still there and she could barely get out of the building I mean they were just relentless you know she it took them like five minutes to get down to the end of the block Allison, what do you think of the other first-line slaves that didn't get time you know they were asked everybody was asking her questions about how she felt and you know, one reporter even asked her if she was interested in participating in a Smallville reunion, which uh, she didn't answer. Uh, she didn't answer anything. She had her hands like over her face and, you know, it was very, it was very tense for a minute there. Um, but then she, you know, shuffled off and that's the end of the story. It was, an, it was an interesting day at that courthouse for sure. You know, it's kind of funny because I'm not, we kind of got a lot of our answers from Allison Mack, I think in court. I think we, we've heard a lot from Allison Mack. 
on tape and on trials and, and emails. And I think it's unrealistic to think that she would comment this week, let alone from someone asking about a small little reunion. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait to, uh, I wouldn't wait by the phone on that one ever happening. You know, that that's part of the whole situation uh, for Allison Mack. And, and it's now in, like her case, it's in the past right now. To hear more of our conversation and for more of the Times Union's coverage of the Nexium saga, check out our sister podcast, Nexium on Trial, wherever you listen to podcasts. After the break, a meeting was held to address an uptick in violence in Saratoga Springs, and it did not go as planned. I'm Casey Seiler, editor of the Times Union. Join us for an ongoing discussion on major developments in the saga of Keith Raniere, co-founder of Nexium, the shadowy upstate New York organization at the center of the explosive federal investigation that resulted in Raniere's conviction on charges of extortion, sex trafficking, and more. We talk to former members of Nexium, discuss the latest news, and preview the likely next twists in this bizarre and disturbing story. You can find Nexium on trial at timesunion.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. Saratoga Springs officials are blaming a recent uptick in violence in the city on the social justice movement and on suspects coming into the city from Albany. Officials hurled blame at a charged meeting Monday night, where they also asked for help for their understaffed police department as nightlife in the city ramps up to pre-pandemic levels. I talked to reporter Wendy Liberatore for more details. Let's start with kind of what this meeting was and what precipitated it? Okay, so last week there was an incident in Congress Park where some teens beat up another teen walking through the park. So that was one issue. Then early Saturday morning, there was a brawl on Caroline Street. Now, Caroline Street is the area of the city where all the popular bars are. And uh, lately it's been packed. Post-pandemic, people seem to be just filling in every single bar to the max. Well, there was a huge brawl. 15 or 20 people, police say, were involved. Somebody got stabbed. He was sent to the hospital. Two shots were fired. So there's concern in the city for people's safety. In Congress Park, with this apparent roving gang of teens wanting to beat people up who are in a fight club, apparently, and the packed bars where people are getting out of hand. So I thought it was going to be a typical press conference. Usually you just go, they tell you what's happening, what they're doing, and that's it. But not this time. No. What happened is we go there and it turned into sort of a trashing of 
in code with dog whistles, a blame game, mostly on Black Lives Matter protesters and Albany gangs. Of course, Albany gangs is code for, uh, or at least most people feel it's code for black people coming into the city and destroying our beautiful, wonderful city. And we all have to do something about this. We have to hire more cops. We have to have, you know, better communications between the bars to do something about these people. And basically it went from, okay, this is a problem and this is what we want to do to these people are coming to our city and trying to intimidate the cops. And this is a real problem. And they're ruining our city. Obviously, the reaction to this was quite strong. You've spent the large part of the week reporting on this. What was the what was the reaction? Can you sum it up? Well, first of all, people are skeptical that it was actually anybody from Albany. You know, a lot of uh, people, uh, you know, including uh, Alexis Figueroa, who is the sort of the Black Lives Matter leader in the city, said he's also a bartender. And he said there was a lot of rumors. And this, again, is just based on rumors that it was, you know, local kids causing the ruckus on Caroline Street. And, and certainly in Congress Park, it is local teens who go to the school. But most people felt it was just t- a totally racist incident press conference. Basically, the assistant police chief, John Catone, said he was going to use every connection he had in his family's 130-year history in Saratoga Springs to destroy anybody uh, saying that the police are racist. It is time for the silent majority we have heard so much about to stand up and be heard. It's time that the want-to-be elected officials who are pushing the narrative of anti-police, defunding the police, corrupt and racist police, to lose the narrative and get informed about what this police department and what this city is truly about. He's saying all this has happened, all this violence has happened, is because people are saying Saratoga Springs cops are racist, and that is not true, according to him. That is not what people of color say in Saratoga Springs, though. So instead of making things perhaps a little better with people of color, so maybe they don't want to provoke the police if this is actually happening, they just made matters worse. This has been a total uh, nightmare now for the city. And right after the press conference, they've gone dark. You know, the police commissioner, Robert and Dalton... Is not talking to anybody about this. Uh, chief Catone is no longer talking to anybody about this. The actual chief of police, Shane Crooks, is on vacation in the wilderness. He can't be reached. So, yeah, they. I think they realize what they did was probably not the smartest way to go about this. Sure, sure. And so that's kind of where the story is right now. But one of the things that you mentioned, and you you talked about this earlier in this podcast as well, is that Saratoga Springs right now is like seeing like Travers Day kind of busyness, right? Like what's going on? Is it just everybody really happy that the pandemic is over and they're just getting back to to life? I think that's what it is. And um the police aren't used to having that many people down there. And 
there does tend to be a lot of overly drunk people who get in fights down there. They're kind of at a loss of what to do. But also part of the problem is they're blaming, you know, the bars for a lot of this activity. And of course, this kind of comes on the heels of your previous reporting that you've done in the last several months about the city having problems with the requirement to bring forth some police reforms. Where does that all stand right now? Yes. And that is a good question because I have been trying to find out on June 1st, they were supposed to have a group to review the recommendations. They didn't fully adopt the recommendations from a majority black police reform task force. And they certainly didn't accept a civilian review board. They didn't want to ban chokeholds. They didn't want to include uh, social services to help out in areas, you know, for example, with the homeless or domestic violence incidents, people with mental illness. And as far as I know, that June 1st advisory committee that's going to look at the recommendations isn't together and and meeting. So that's another story that I need to unravel. Right now, it's it's completely unclear what, if anything, they're doing. I did ask uh, the assistant police chief, John Catone, after the press conference, uh, what they are doing. And he was just angry and upset and said, we are already doing things. We have body cameras. Because we have body cameras, this shows that we're doing the right thing. But he also said, because I asked him, none of this footage on body cameras with their interactions with the public is public. I've been trying to get a body camera footage of an interaction with a black army captain. And they won't give it to me. And the army captain who is stationed in Texas can't get it either. He wants to send his brother to look at the body cam footage. But they said, no, the only person that can see it is you. And you have to be in person in our office. You can't get copies. Nobody but you can see it. And he can't see it because he's away. I can't see it because they won't give it to me. They also won't give me the incident report on Saturday night. And Albany police will not say whether or not they're working with Saratoga Springs police on this issue of apparent gangs from Albany coming to Saratoga Springs. Steve Smith, the the public information officer with the Albany police, is saying he can't say anything about it because it's Saratoga Springs police. It sounds like there are a lot of questions and a lot of things to sort out, and uh, we will likely be hearing from you again on this topic. Thank you, Jessica. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler, Rob Gavin, and Wendy Liberator for their reporting and contribution to this episode.